Once upon a time, an Irishman named Patrick O'Sullivan bought a wee farm in a scenic little village in Ireland. The house was charming. The barn was small but satisfactory, but the best part of it all was the five acres of flat and fertile land. I'll drop the accent, but that was fun. <laughs> Patrick O'Sullivan dreamed of being a farmer and growing thick wheat, barley, and oats, but there was a problem. His land was wild and overgrown with dense weeds, vines, and brush. His little farm in Ireland looked more like a jungle in Brazil. Patrick looked out of his kitchen window at his five acres of wild property. He dreamed of fields thick with wheat and barley and oats. He dreamed of harvesting the highest quality grains Ireland had ever seen. Grueling work it would be. So Patrick got to work. He dug up weeds, pulled out vines, and cut down brush. But the work was slow and arduous. And it seems as if no progress was made. But Patrick envisioned golden wheat, barley, and oats and kept working. Patrick cleared the fields for weeks, but the work was gradual, painful, and toilsome. And his dream of wheat, barley, and oats was fading. Quitting crossed his mind. But weary Patrick O'Sullivan endured until one day his fields were cleared. No grain yet, but Patrick's vigor and vision were renewed at his progress. He cultivated the land, and eventually, after more time and more sweat, the soil was ready for planting. So Patrick filled his seed bag, went into the fields, and with great expectation, sowed wheat, barley, and oats. He scattered the seed with good coverage over all five acres. He raked the seed into the soil. Again, the work was strenuous, and there wasn't any harvest yet, but his hope was very much alive. Now Patrick needed rain. Weeks passed, and the ground grew hard and thirsty. Still no rain. Patrick was disheartened. What, was it all a waste? Was it all just a big waste? His dream was drying up. Determination, toil, perseverance, and still no wheat, barley, or oats. Thoughts of futility and hopelessness haunted Patrick. The barren land brought new visions of, of selling the farm, of a house in the city, of uh, new work in a factory. But through his doubts and through his exasperation, something kept Patrick working his beloved land. Every day he kept after his work and he waited. He waited for rain. He waited for the harvest. Then one day, when Patrick's hope was almost gone, the heavens opened and watered Patrick's fields with perfect irrigation. The warm sun summoned the rising sprouts of grain. Patrick's hope surged. No harvest yet, but the signs were there. Patrick worked. His work was revitalized after, after more work and after more time and after more rain and sunshine. A gentle breeze drifted through thick and tall golden wheat, barley, and oats. The day before harvest from his porch, Patrick O'Sullivan looked upon swaying and plump heads of grain, and he was overcome with gratitude and satisfaction. He harvested the highest quality grains that Ireland had ever seen that very next day. 
and his barn was brimming. Patrick O'Sullivan had never been so grateful and so satisfied in all of his life. His blood, sweat, and tears finally paid off. Patrick finally reaped what he sowed, and all was worth it. Kids, let me ask you a question. When Patrick O'Sullivan harvested his fields, what did he harvest? Just say it out loud. Wheat, grain, barley, and, and oats. Wheat, barley, and oats. Another question. Why didn't Patrick reap tobacco, oleander, and water hemlock? Because he didn't plant that, right? He planted wheat, barley, and oats. You reap what you sow. You harvest what you plant. And kids, if Patrick would have quit working, sold the farm, moved to the city, took a a factory job, would he have harvested the golden wheat and barley and oats? No, of course not. Perseverance in hard work brought Patrick the reward. See, Patrick needed to endure through difficult circumstances in order to harvest. It's true, you reap what you sow. Here's the point I'd like you to think about and to apply. Saints, we must not grow weary of doing good or give up because in time we will reap what we sow and be rewarded generously. We begin with verse 6, which connects to bearing one another's burdens and living out the gospel. And verse 6 is a bit tricky for me to preach because it may sound a bit self-serving. Uh, But verse 6 is for the good of the whole church now. Uh, So it's necessary for our uh, vitality, our spiritual vitality. Verse 6 says, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. So here's the first supporting point. Scripture trains and equips the church to do good. Therefore, pastors should be generously supported in their teaching ministry. When you understand the value and the power of Scripture, paying a a pastor makes sense. Teaching math or science or art is important. It's important and, and is often compensated well, but the truth of God is the preeminent subject from which all other subjects find their value. Scripture is unique. And teaching divine truth does what no other subject can do. Give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What is Scripture? What does Scripture do? What value is Scripture? The answer to these questions explain why followers of Jesus should joyfully and generously support their pastors. What is Scripture? 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Scripture is God's supernatural breath. As much as Jesus is the Word of God in human flesh, Scripture is the Word of God in written text. We cannot know God without the Spirit of God speaking through the exhaled written Word of God. God tells His great story of redemption in holy writ. What does Scripture do? Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. When Scripture is faithfully taught, it is God teaching, 
God reproving, God correcting, and God training his people in righteousness through the scripture. The the teaching of scripture is the God-ordained means by which God trains us, his people, for good works. What value then is scripture? Again, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And verse 17 adds this, that the man of God may be complete, equipped with every good work. Equipped for every good work. Why should God's people share all good things with their pastors who teach them? Because through the pastor's teaching, God himself is training and equipping his people to be complete in Christ and to do good works. Scripture alone, Scripture alone achieves this glorious and amazing end. Listen closely now. Scripture is the sustenance, the nourishment, the fuel to carry you saints to eternal life, to eternal glory. Without God's word taught clearly and faithfully, there is no vitality and growth. There is only decline and death. And that has been proven by the increasing liberalization and decline of all seven, all of the seven major Protestant denominations. Mainline Protestantism has been declining and dying in America ever since the 1960s. Why? Because in all seven mainline Protestant denominations, Scripture has been compromised for years. The vitality and growth of the church is inseparable from the faithful teaching of God's Word in the church. This is why Paul said things like, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Saints, that's why it's advantageous for the whole church to generously compensate faithful pastors for their faithful teaching ministry. The Greek word is katecheo, to catechize in the truths of Scripture. The, the catechizing of God's children in the truths of Scripture is the heartbeat of the church. God says that it's worthy of generous pay. Jesus, he sent out the 12, and as he did to, to go and to teach and, and to heal, he told them the laborer deserves his food. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.14 that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. How foolish of Patrick O'Sullivan to muzzle his ox when it's treading out the grain. As the ox works hard, oh, Patrick, let the ox eat from some of his work so that he has strength to keep working for you, Patrick O'Sullivan. Spirit-filled and spirit-led people are generous and they want to share with those who teach the word because they esteem God's word. They know its value and benefit and they know that those who teach the word also have physical and emotional and mental and relational and spiritual needs. So they joyfully share all good things, not just finances, but all good things Because they want to love deeply. 
Sharing all good things shows that you actually believe that the gospel is the power of God for salvation and that you want to invest. It shows I am committed. I want to invest. I want to partner in kingdom work. Dr. R. Kent Hughes, he has over 40 years of pastoral experience. He, he comments like this. There is an exchange that ought to take place within the life of every healthy church. On the one hand, pastors are to share with congregants the spiritual resources of the Word of God so that congregants can be nourished and equipped to live for Christ. On the other hand, congregants are to share with pastors their financial resources so that pastors are free of the burden of having to provide financially for themselves and are thus free to devote all their time and energy to feeding the flock, end of quote. So, from my family to yours, dear Jerusalem church, we are very, very well taken care of because by the Spirit, you are sharing generously with us. We feel that. We love that. It's a gift to us. And, and I think you're doing that because you believe in the power of God's Word, taught faithfully. You're investing in the kingdom Investing in kingdom work as partners, you're taking part of it. You're, you're storing up riches for yourselves in heaven so that you can be rich toward God. And dear generous saints of Jerusalem church, you will reap what you sow. Isn't that exciting? Your generosity will reap you tremendous blessings from God now and forever. Don't grow weary. Don't, don't grow disheartened. Don't quit. Keep giving your time, your talents, your treasures. Keep giving yourselves to the local church because in due time, you will reap generous rewards. Verse six helps keep churches alive and growing. Now, verse seven comes in the context of putting to death the desires and works of the flesh and keeping in step with the spirit who produces sweet and delicious fruit um, fruit in those who belong to Christ. So in verse 7, Paul further explains the importance of how people live. So he says in verse 7, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. God is not mocked. Therefore, do good for the glory and praise of his name. God appoints pastor teachers in the church to train and equip his children to glorify and to praise his name, not to mock his generosity and love by living irresponsibly and immorally. No one should ever think that people who mock God in their pursuit of the desires of the flesh are getting away with it. They're not getting away with it. God is not mocked. The consequences of sin, they're not always immediate, but they are inevitable. And so we can sometimes, even as Christians, assume that God fails to notice. It may appear like God doesn't always care or that he isn't doing anything about sin. Brothers and sisters, be not deceived. Be not deceived. Though we are secure in God's grace and the Spirit is the guarantee of our salvation, we must also realize that our God is not mocked and everyone reaps what they sow. When people live to gratify their flesh, they are not simply disobeying God's law. They are openly mocking God by their life. Like, like a wicked little schoolboy foolishly ridiculing his classmates on the playground, pursuing the lusts of the flesh, 
is ridiculing God himself. You know, sometimes if we're honest, sin just seems harmless. Sometimes. It does. Sin sometimes seems like it's actually okay to do. But any step that is out of sync with the Spirit and incongruent with God's holy and good law is bold-faced sneering at God. God is not mocked. And this should put a healthy dose of fear in us, even his children, for our Father. We should fear our Father because though he loves us so intensely, so immensely, he is also a holy Father. Righteous Father. Good Father. And God is not mocked. This this truth should push you and me to think very honestly about the way that we live. We have a a bunch of fathers here looking out on a bunch of fathers. Every good father has high expectations of, of his children. And when they step out of line, he disciplines them so that they learn how to do better. Why? Love. Love, love, love. Love disciplines. Love doesn't let it slide. Fathers love their children and they want good things for them so much. And the way that children then a show their love for their fathers is to respond to their discipline by doing good things that please their fathers. See, if God's adopted children truly love their heavenly father, they will not want to do anything that mocks him, anything that makes him look bad, but instead will deeply desire to do everything which honors him, which esteems him, which makes his, his generosity and his grace and his love look amazing. Those who love God know that sowing the seeds of obedience to his will yields tremendous harvest, in fact, tremendous blessing for them. And and they want their father's blessing. They welcome it. It feels so good to be blessed by the father. Therefore, by his spirit, they sow good in order to reap good. God is not mocked. So do good in order to honor and esteem your father's good name. What are you sowing? Where are you sowing? What do you expect to reap from what you're sowing? Are you sowing the good seed of wheat, barley, and oats? Expecting to harvest wheat, barley, and oats? Or are you sowing the seeds of tobacco, oleander, and water hemlock, expecting to harvest wheat, barley, and oats? That's absurd. Verse 7 is exactly right. Whatever you sow, that will you also reap. Sow good things and reap good things. Sow bad things and reap bad things. Okay then. Everyone reaps what they sow. Therefore, do good in order to receive God's gracious and good reward. Look again at verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. I think it's pretty simple. Everyone reaps what they sow. Paul gives this truism in verse 7, whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Then he gives two sides to this truism. The first side is, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. 
He means that those who live to pursue and satisfy the desires and works of the flesh will perish in their sins. Those who live as covenant breakers will receive the curses of the covenant. They will reap what they sow. God made this principle clear from the very beginning. To sow to your own flesh is to scatter upon the soil of your life the seeds of sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, arrogance, provocations, self-deception, spiritual isolation, ingratitude, stinginess, and a lot of other things. You plant these by pursuing these. To sow to the flesh is to practice these things as a way of life. And and, and if we sow wickedness, we should expect, logically, to reap the harvest of wickedness, which God tells us very clearly in His Word is eternal corruption, is eternal condemnation, is eternal damnation, is eternal hell. God created hell as the harvest for everyone who sows to the flesh. Kids, if someone plants tobacco, oleander, or water hemlock, all poisonous, by the way, what will they harvest? Certainly not wheat, barley, and oats. If you sow poisonous plant seed, you will reap poisonous plants. If you sow to your flesh, you will inevitably reap the stiff punishment of the full extent of God's holy law. There's another side to the truism. Secondly, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Oh, that's awesome. Paul means that those who live by the Spirit and walk in step with the Spirit will enjoy eternal life with God. This is the other side. This is the side of reward. This is the side of blessing. This is what makes living for God worth it. This is what puts a bounce in our step when everything is going wrong around us and we just want to live for Jesus. This is what makes it worth it, dear brothers and sisters. Those who by faith walk in step with the Spirit, who by faith put the desires and works of the flesh to death by the Spirit, who by faith sow obedience to God's will by the Spirit, live forever in the beautiful and joyful presence of God. That's worth it. Those who live by faith as covenant keepers, who live a lifestyle of repentance from their sins and faith in Christ, who live for the increasing intimacy with God, will receive the rewards and blessings of the covenant graciously promised and given them by God. Is Jesus not the perfect example of sowing to the Spirit and reaping blessing from God? Don't don't you want to sow and reap as he did. To sow to the Spirit is to walk by the Spirit in step with the Spirit by the pace and power of the Spirit. In Christ, brothers and sisters, you are free in Christ to sow to the Spirit who sovereignly grows in us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, 
goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we sow the seed of good works for God's glory so that we can reap the grace of eternal life. We don't sow the seed of good works to merit or earn eternal life. That would be to miss all that Paul has been saying earlier in this book. But we must sow the seed of good works because of our justification in order to fully and finally obtain eternal life. Notice in verse 8 that Paul says, will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Eternal life is graciously given to us. Our, our, Our good works merit nothing. They merit absolutely nothing. They are gifts of grace. Heidelberg 63 says, but do our good works earn nothing, even though God promises to reward them in this life and the next? And the answer is, the reward is not earned. It is a gift of grace. Grace, gift, eternal life is a reward for your faithfulness in this life, but it is not a merited reward. It is a gift reward given to you by your heavenly Father who also gave you the faithfulness. When you receive your reward, gratitude is much more appropriate than vanity. You have nothing to boast in except the grace that God has provided you. That's your boast. Dr. Zacharias Ursinus wrote in his commentary on the Heidelberg Catechism, quote, we have no good works which God rewards but those which we derive from his grace. The good works which we perform by the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit are the fruits of that adoption which is an act of free grace. We cheerfully concur with Paul and with the whole Bible in acknowledging that we are unable to do anything but by the free grace of God and yet that the benefits resulting from our works receive the name of reward. End of quote. We reap eternal rewards because we sow good things by God's free grace alone. To God be the glory great things he has done. Are you sowing good works so that you can reap unfathomable blessing, the blessing of eternal life with God? What we do in this life matters, brothers and sisters. It matters, and it is inseparable from us inheriting eternal life. Inseparable. Listen carefully so you're not confused. No one is saved by their good works, but no one is saved without them. The Scottish Presbyterian John Brown said this, every act of Christian duty, every sacrifice made, every privation submitted to, every suffering endured from a regard to Christ's authority with a view to Christ's honor shall assuredly be recompensed. Everyone reaps what they sow. Therefore, do good by grace through faith in Christ in order to receive God's promised good reward of eternal life. Do good. Reap what is good. Why would anyone deny themselves the desires and pleasures of the flesh in order to walk by the Spirit in obedience to God, which is really, really hard? Why would anyone do that? Pass up all the pleasures of this world? 
wealth, sex, power, fame, give it all up and walk by the Spirit in this weird, different kind of life that people don't understand and you feel like a freak? Why? Why would anyone do that? Simple, to reap the blessing of eternal life. That's why. It makes perfect sense. To reap eternal life and to not reap eternal corruption and destruction. This is a very simple thing to understand. God's eternal promises are far better than the momentary pleasures of this life. My dear friends, don't sow bad things because then you'll reap bad things. Sow to the Spirit so that you will from the gracious and good Spirit reap eternal life. I promise you it will be hard labor. But I also promise you it will be worth it. It will be worth it. Because you will reap what you have sowed. Doing good is arduous. And when you feel weary of doing good, which you and I know, it feels weary sometimes. And when God's promise of eternal life seems oh so distant and oh so dim, and, and when there doesn't seem to be any immediate harvest from our, from our good works, don't give up. Don't give up. Rather, trust your Father's good promises. Keep working and reap what you sow. You will soon reap your eternal reward. It's close. It's almost here. You have to understand that Paul's teaching about sowing to the Spirit in order to reap eternal life comes after he clearly establishes the doctrine of God's free grace in justification by faith alone. Sowing to the Spirit with good works is not the cause of justification, but rather the inevitable fruit of our justification. We receive God's grace in Christ in order to walk by the Spirit in good works, which leads to the reward of eternal life. Remember what Paul said earlier in Galatians, our Christian mantra, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Yes. Everything that Paul tells us to do in the latter part of Galatians falls apart without union with Christ by faith. You just just can't get there without the first part of Galatians. Everything written in the latter part of Galatians must be done by faith in the Son of God who is the one who always sows to the Spirit. Never misstepped. Jesus never sows to the flesh. So being united by faith to Jesus, the perfect covenant keeper, means he will help you sow to the Spirit just like he does. Saints, we must not grow weary of doing good or give up, ever. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus never did. He never gave up. In time, like him, we will reap what we sow and be rewarded generously. Our God will supply us what we need to sow to the Spirit. And as we do, our Father watches with pleasure and will reward us generously. As you do those, they're imperfect, But as you're like, I I want to do this for you, God. By the power of the Spirit, do you know that your Father looks on and is so pleased because you are in His perfect Son? So He's pleased with you and your progress. It's extraordinary. 
Paul was teaching the Galatians the truths that would revitalize their churches and set them once again on the road of blessing, which they should have been walking. They just got distracted. Paul is teaching us to do the same. If we want to be an alive church, a healthy church, a growing church, we've got to get on board here. We must not grow weary of doing good or give up because in time we will be rewarded generously. Look at verses nine and 10. And let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are the household of faith. Now Paul gave a condition here to reap eternal life, you must never give up in doing good. You must persevere, you must endure, you must last until the end. In other words, you must finish the race. To give up is to prove you never knew God, nor received His Spirit. Giving up is a terrifying thing to do. You can't give up. Now, be clear. Paul is not talking about losing your salvation. That's not his point. Because he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That's a promise. It will happen. The good news of the gospel is that those who have the Spirit will never give up, but will endure by the Spirit. So to quit, to give up, to toss in the towel, to drop out, to walk away, to say uncle in doing good works is not to lose the salvation that you once had, but to prove you never had the Spirit who was the guarantee of your salvation. Those who give up are at best the rocky ground from Matthew 13. They received the word with joy, but only endured for a little while. They they made it like oh so far, and then they gave up. See, good works do not earn your salvation, but enduring in good works does confirm your salvation because the spirit working in your good works is the guarantee of your salvation. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 say what I'm trying to say here. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Great text. Dear brothers and sisters, don't grow weary of doing good. Because in due time, you will reap your eternal reward. However, you must not give up. You can't give up. You must persevere in doing good because only those who persevere inherit the reward. So persevere, keep going, walk by the Spirit and step with the Spirit in complete confidence and faith in your God and your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that one day, you will have your reward in full. Do it because you want the reward. God is the reward. You've heard it said, cheaters never prosper, but I tell you, quitters never prosper. Saints, Jesus died to make both justification and sanctification a reality for his elect and grants his spirit to his elect as his ongoing guarantee of eternal life. To possess the Holy Spirit is to possess that which guarantees your good works and your salvation. You you, you may grow weary sometimes. 
You may lose sight of your reward sometimes, but look to Christ in faith. Trust in God's Son who gives you endurance. Hebrews 10.36 is awesome. It says, for you have need of endurance. You feeling that? You have need of endurance. Yes, I do. I need that. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. How needy we are. When you are weary of doing good, look to Christ in faith because the joy of the Lord is your strength. When you are weary of doing good, look to Christ in faith and be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Look to Christ in faith because He is the founder and the perfecter of your faith. And by His strength, you shall run with endurance the race that is set before you. See, Jesus was, ne- it was weary. He was quite weary, but He never grew weary of doing good. Every moment of his life, Jesus toiled by the pace and the power of the Spirit to do good, and he did do good. The cross is the quintessence of doing good, and Christ alone gave himself by the power, uh, the pace and the power of the Spirit. And because he did, because he received this unfathomable eternal reward from his Father, one that he merited on his own, then we can receive an incredible reward by his grace. All glory be to Christ. Brothers and sisters, God will give you many opportunities to do good. And so, do good to everyone. Do good to your best friends and do good to your worst enemies. Do good to everyone. But there is one group that exceeds them all. To this group, you should do the most good. God is calling you to do good to the household of faith. To the visible church, in other words. To those who bear the sign and seal of the covenant of God, both professing Christians and their baptized children. Do good to the household of faith. To God's covenant people. Saints, we must not grow weary of doing good, especially to those in our church. We must not give up because in time we will reap what we sow and we will be rewarded generously Our Father's reward is but a breath away. And the reward, I promise you, is worth it. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your clear word. You have been so kind to describe truth for us in terms that we can understand. You have condescended in your language to give it to us um, now in the English language that we can understand what you're saying to us. I pray, God, that that all the believers here, because they have the Spirit, because they are loved and accepted by God, because they are justified and guaranteed by the Spirit an eternal inheritance, that they would not grow weary doing good. Your Spirit is helping them do good. Help them to not grow tired of it. But to have renewed strength this morning to continue on the, the pathway of doing good to others. And God... Remind us of this great blessing of reward that we have in Christ. One day we will share uh, in his great reward. We are co-heirs with Christ. What a beautiful inheritance we have. And it will be ours one day as we endure and as we take hold of it by faith in the end. We must endure, God, so give us the endurance. Give us the faithfulness. Help us to stay at it. And you will. We believe that you will. Even in the hardest times. We love you, God. You are such a good father. And I pray that we could respond with much gratitude and obedience together because we love you and because you've done so much. 
and because you are doing so much and because you promise to do so much for us. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.